0: Section 26 of Thrift. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thrift by Samuel Smiles. Healthy Homes, Part 1. The best security for civilization is the dwelling B. Disraeli, cleanliness is the elegance of the poor. English proverb, "Sanitas sanitatum et omnia sanitas." Julius Minocius, virtue never dwelt long with filth and nastiness. Count Ramford. More servants wait on men than he'll take notice of, in every pass. He treads down that which doth befriend him, When sickness makes him pale and wan, George Herbert Health is said to be wealth. Indeed, all wealth is valueless without health. Every man who lives by labor, whether of mind or body, Regards health as one of the most valuable of possessions. Without it, life would be unenjoyable. The human system has been so framed as to render enjoyment one of the principal ends of physical life. The whole arrangement, structure and functions of the human system are beautifully adapted for that purpose. The exercise of every sense is pleasurable. The exercise of sight, hearing, taste, touch and muscular effort. What can be more pleasurable, for instance, than the feeling of entire health? Health which is the sum total of the functions of life, duly performed. Enjoyment, says Dr. Southwood-Smith, is not only the end of life, but it is the only condition of life which is compatible with a protracted term of existence. The happier a human being is, the longer he lives. The more he suffers, the sooner he dies. To add to enjoyment is to lengthen life. To inflict pain is to shorten its duration. Happiness is the rule of healthy existence. Pain and misery are its exceptional conditions. Nor is pain altogether an evil. It is rather a solitary warning it tells us that we have transgressed some rule violated some law disobeyed some physical obligation it is a monitor which warns us to amend our state of living it virtually says return to nature observe her laws and be restored to happiness thus paradoxical though it may seem Pain is one of the conditions of the physical well-being of man, as death, according to Dr. Thomas Brown, is one of the conditions of the enjoyment of life. To enjoy physical happiness, therefore, the natural laws must be complied with. To discover and observe these laws, man has been endowed with the gift of reason does he fail to exercise this gift does he neglect to comply with the law of his being then pain and disease are the necessary consequence man violates the laws of nature in his own person and he suffers accordingly he is idle and overfeeds himself he is punished by gout indigestion or apoplexy he drinks too much He becomes bloated, trembling and weak. His appetite falls off, his strength declines, his constitution decays. And he falls a victim to the numerous diseases which haunt the steps of the drunkard. Society suffers in the same way. It leaves districts undrained and streets uncleaned. Masses of the population are allowed to live crowded together in unwholesome dens half poisoned by the mephitic air of the neighbourhood then a fever breaks out or a cholera or a plague disease spreads from the miserable abodes of the poor into the comfortable homes of the rich carrying death and devastation before it the misery and suffering incurred in such cases are nothing less than wilful, inasmuch as the knowledge necessary to avert them Is within the reach of all. Wherever any number of persons live together, the atmosphere becomes poisoned, unless means be provided for its constant change and renovation. If there be not sufficient ventilation, the air becomes charged with carbonic acid, principally the product of respiration. Whatever the body discharges becomes poison to the body if introduced again through the lungs. Hence the immense importance of pure air. A deficiency of food may be considerably less injurious than a deficiency of pure air. Every person above 14 years of age requires about 600 cubic feet of shut-up space to breathe in during the 24 hours. Footnote 1. Where 600 cubic feet of space is allowed, the air requires to be changed by ventilation five times in the hour in order to keep it pure. The best amount of space to be allowed for a healthy adult is about 800 cubic feet. The air which is breathed becomes so rapidly impure that a constant supply of fresh air must be kept up to make the air of the shut-up space fit for breathing the following are some amounts of space per head which are met with in practice artisan rooms two hundred cubic feet metropolitan lodging houses two hundred and forty cubic feet poor law board dormitories three hundred cubic feet Barak regulation 60 cubic feet. The best hospitals 1500 to 2000 cubic feet. End of footnote 1. If he sleeps in a room of smaller dimensions, he will suffer more or less and gradually approach the condition of being smothered shut up a mouse in a glass receiver and it will gradually die by re breathing its own breath shut up a man in a confined space and he will die in the same way the english soldiers expired in the black hole of calcutta because they wanted pure air thus about half the children born in some manufacturing towns die before they are five years old Principally because they want pure air. Humboldt tells of a sailor who was dying of fever in the close hold of a ship. His comrades brought him out of his hold to die in the open air. Instead of dying, he revived and eventually got well. He was cured by the pure air. The most common result of breathing impure air amongst adults is fever. The heaviest municipal tax, said Dr. Southwood Smith, is the fever tax. It is estimated that in Liverpool some 7,000 persons are yearly attacked by fever, of whom about 500 die. Fever usually attacks persons of between 20 and 30, or those who generally have small families, depending on them for support hence death from fever by causing widowhood and orphanage impose a very heavy tax upon the inhabitants of all the large manufacturing towns dr playfair after carefully considering the question is of opinion that the total pecuniary loss inflicted on the county of lancashire from preventable disease sickness and death amounts to not less than five million sterling annually but this is only the physical and pecuniary loss the moral loss is infinitely greater where are now the happy humble swains and the gentle shepherds of the old english poets at the present time they are nowhere to be found the modern Streffen and Phyllis are a very humble pair, living in a clay-floored cottage and maintaining a family on from twelve to fifteen shillings a week. And so far from Streffen spending his time in sitting by a purling stream, playing roundelays upon a pipe. Poor fellow, he can scarcely afford to smoke one. His hours of labour are so long, and his wages are so small. As for Daphnis, he's lout, and can neither read nor write nor is his chloe any better phineas Fletchers us sing of the shepherd's home thrice oh thrice happy shepherd's life and state when courts are happinessy unhappy pawns his cottage low and safely humble gate shuts out proud fortune with her scorns and fawns no feared treason breaks his quiet sleep singing all day his flocks he learns to keep himself as innocent as are his simple sheep his certain life that never can deceive him is full of thousand sweets and rich content the smooth-leaved beeches in the field receive him with coolest shades till noontide's rage is spent his life is neither tossed in boisterous seas of troublous world nor lost in slothful ease pleased and full-blessed he lives when he his god can please where oh where has this gentle shepherd gone have spinning jennies swallowed him up alas as was observed of mrs harris there is no such person did he ever exist we have a strong suspicion that he never did save in the imaginations of poets before the age of railroads and sanitary reformers the pastoral life of the acadians was a beautiful myth the blue-book men have exploded it for the agricultural labourers have not decent houses only miserable huts to live in they have but few provisions for cleanliness or decency two rooms for sleeping and living in are all that the largest family can afford sometimes they have only one the day room in addition to the family contains the cooking utensils the washing apparatus agricultural implements and dirty clothes in the sleeping apartment the parents and their children boys and girls are indiscriminately mixed and frequently a lodger sleeps in the same and only room which has generally no window the openings in the half setched roof admitting light and exposing the family to every vicissitude of the weather the husband having no comfort at home seeks it in the beer-shop the children grow up without decency or self-restraint as for the half-hearted wives and daughters, their lot is very miserable. It is not often that village affairs are made the subject of discussion in newspapers, for the power of the press has not yet reached remote country places. But we do hear occasionally of whole villages being pulled down and raised in order to prevent them becoming nests of beggar's brats. A member of Parliament did not hesitate to confess before a parliamentary committee that he had pulled down between 26 and 30 cottages, which, had they been left standing, would have been inhabited by young married couples. And what becomes of the dispossessed? They crowd together in the cottages which are left standing, if their owners will allow it, or they crowd into the workhouses or more generally they crowd into the towns where there is at least some hope of employment for themselves and their children our manufacturing towns are not at all what they ought to be not sufficiently pure wholesome or well-regulated but the rural labourers regard even the misery of towns as preferable to the worse misery of the rural districts and year by year they crowd into the seats of manufacturing industry in search of homes and employment. This speaks volumes as to the actual state of our boasted peasantry, the country's pride. The intellectual condition of the country labourers seems to be on a par with their physical state. Those in the western counties are as little civilized as the poor people in the east of London. A report of the diocesan board of the county of Hereford states that a great deal of the superstition of past ages lingers in our parishes. The observation of lucky and unlucky days and season is by no means unusual. The faces of the moon are regarded with great respect. In one, medicine may be taken. In another, it is advisable to kill a pig. Over the doors of many houses may be found twigs placed crosswise and never suffered to lose their cruciform position. And the horseshoe preserves its old station on many a stable door. Charms are devoutly believed in a ring made from a shilling offered at the communion is an undoubted cure for fits hair plucked from the crop of an ass's shoulder and woven into a chain to be put round a child's neck is powerful for the same purpose and the hand of a corpse applied to the neck is believed to disperse a van the evil eye so long dreaded in uneducated countries has its terrors among us, and if a person of ill life be suddenly called away, there are generally some who hear his tokens or see his ghost. There exists, besides, the custom of communicating this to hives of bees in the belief that they invariably abandon their owners if the intelligence be withheld sidney smith has said with more truth than elegance that in the infancy of all nations even the most civilized men lived the life of pigs and if sanitary reporters had existed in times past as they do now we should doubtless have received an account of the actual existence and domestic accommodation of the old english swains and shepherds very different from that given by Phineas Fletcher. Even the mechanics of this day are more comfortably lodged than the great landed gentry of the Saxon and Norman periods, and if the truth could be got at, it would be found that, bad as is the state of our agricultural labourers now, the condition of their forefathers was no better. The first method of raising a man above the life of an animal is to provide him with a healthy home. The home is, after all, the best school for the world. Children grow up into men and women there. They imbibe their best and their worst morality there, and their morals and intelligence are in a great measure well or ill-trained there. Man can only be really and truly humanized and civilized through the institution of the home. There is domestic purity and moral life in the good home and individual defilement and moral death in the bad one. The schoolmaster has really very little to do with the formation of the characters of children. These are formed in the home by the father and mother by brothers sisters and companions it does not matter how complete may be the education given in schools it may include the whole range of knowledge yet if the scholar is under the necessity of daily returning to a home which is indecent vicious and miserable all this learning will prove of comparatively little value character and disposition are the result of home training and if these are through bad physical and moral conditions deteriorated and destroyed the intellectual culture acquired in the school may prove an instrumentality for evil rather than for good the home should not be considered merely as an eating and sleeping place but as a place where self-respect may be preserved and comfort secured and domestic pleasures enjoyed three-fourths of the petty vices which degrade society and swell into crimes which disgrace it would shrink before the influence of self-respect to be a place of happiness exercising beneficial influences upon its members and especially upon the children growing up within it the home must be pervaded by the spirit of comfort cleanliness affection and intelligence and in order to secure this the presence of a well-ordered industrious and educated woman is indispensable so much depends upon the woman that we might almost pronounce the happiness or unhappiness of the home to be the woman's work. No nation can advance except through the improvement of the nation's homes, and these can only be improved through the instrumentality of women. They must know how to make homes comfortable, and before they can know, they must have been taught Women must, therefore, have sufficient training to fit them for their duties in real life. Their education should be conducted throughout, with a view to their future position as wives, mothers and housewives. But amongst all classes, even the highest, the education of girls is rarely conducted with this object. Amongst the working people, the girls are sent out to work, amongst the higher classes they are sent out to learn a few flushy accomplishments and men are left to pick from them very often with little judgment the future wives and mothers of england men themselves attach little or no importance to the intelligence or industrial skill of women and they only discover their value when they find their homes stupid and cheerless men are caught by the glance of a bright eye by a pair of cherry cheeks by a handsome figure and when they fall in love as the phrase goes they never bethink them of whether the loved one can mend a shirt or cook a pudding and yet the most sentimental of husbands must come down from his ecstatics as soon as the knot is tied. And then he soon enough finds out that the clever hands of a woman are worth far more than her bright glances. And if the shirt and pudding qualifications be absent, then woe to the unhappy man, and woe also to the unhappy woman. If the substantial element of physical comfort be absent from the home, it soon becomes hateful. The wife notwithstanding all her good looks is neglected and a public-house separates those whom the law and the church have joined together men are really desperately ignorant respecting the home department if they thought for a moment of its importance they would not be so ready to rush into premature housekeeping ignorant men select equally ignorant women for their wives and these introduce into the world families of children whom they are utterly incompetent to train as rational or domestic beings. The home is no home, but a mere lodging, and often a very comfortless one. We speak not merely of the poorest laborers, but of the best-paid workmen in the large manufacturing towns men earning from two to three pounds a week or more than the average pay of curates and bankers clerks though spending considerable amounts on beer will often grudge so small a part of their income as half a crown a week to provide decent homes for themselves and their children what is the consequence they degrade themselves and their families they crowd together in foul neighbourhoods into dwellings possessing no element of health or decency where even the small rental which they pay is in excess of the accommodation they receive the results are inevitable loss of self-respect degradation of intelligence failure of physical health and premature death even the highest-minded philosopher placed in such a situation would gradually gravitate towards brutality but the amount thus saved or rather not expended on house-rent is not economy it is waste. The sickness caused by the bad dwelling involves frequent interruptions of work and drains upon the savings bank or the benefit society and a final and rapid descent to the poor rates. Though the loss to the middle and upper classes is great, the loss is not for a moment to be compared with that which falls upon the working classes themselves through their neglect in providing wholesome, and comfortable dwellings for their families. It is, perhaps, not saying too much to aver, that one-half the money expended by benefit societies in large towns may be set down as pecuniary loss arising from bad and unhealthy homes. But there is a worse consequence still, The low tone of physical health thereby produced is one of the chief causes of drunkenness. Mr. Chadwick once remonstrated with an apparently sensible workman on the expenditure of half his income on whiskey. His reply was, Do you, sir, come and live here, and you will drink whiskey too, Mr. Lee says i would not be understood that habits of intoxication are wholly due to a defective sanitary condition but no person can have the experience i have had without coming to the conclusion that unhealthy and unhappy homes loss of vital and consequently of industrial energy and a consciousness of inability to control external circumstances induce thousands to escape from miserable depression in the temporary excitement of noxious drugs and intoxicating liquors they are like the seamen who struggle for a while against the evils by which they are surrounded but at last seeing no hope stupefy themselves with drink and perish it may be said in excuse that working people must necessarily occupy such houses as are to be had and pay the rental asked for them bad and unwholesome though they be But there is such a thing as supply and demand, and the dwellings now supplied are really those which are most in demand because of their lowness of rental. Were the working classes to shun unwholesome districts and low-priced dwellings and rent only such tenements as were calculated to fulfil the requirements of a wholesome and cleanly home, The owners of property would be compelled to improve the character of their houses and raise them to the required standard of comfort and accommodation. The real remedy must lie with the working classes themselves. Let them determine to raise their standard of rental and the reform is in a great measure accomplished. We have already shown how masters have done a great deal for the better accommodation of their workpeople, how the benefactors of the poor, such as Mr. Peabody and Lady Bird at Coots, have promoted the building of healthy homes. Yet the result must depend upon the individual action of the working classes themselves, when they have the choice of living in a dwelling situated in a healthy locality, and of another situated in an unhealthy locality they ought to choose the former but very often they do not there is perhaps a difference of sixpence a week in the rental and not knowing the advantages of health they take the unhealthy dwelling because it is the cheapest but the money that sickly people have to pay for physic doctor's bills and loss of wages far more than exceeds the amount saved by cheaper rental not to speak of the loss of comfort the want of cleanliness and the depression of spirits which is inevitable where foul air is breathed to build a wholesome dwelling costs little more than to build an unwholesome one what is wanted on the part of the builder is a knowledge of sanitary conditions and a willingness to provide the proper accommodation the space of ground covered by the dwelling is the same in both cases the quantity of bricks and mortar need be no greater and pure air is of the same price as foul air light costs nothing a healthy home presided over by a thrifty cleanly woman may be the abode of comfort of virtue and of happiness it may be the scene of every ennobling relation in family life it may be endeared to a man by many delightful memories by the affectionate voices of his wife his children and his neighbors such a home will be regarded not as a mere nest of common instinct but as a training ground for young immortals a sanctuary for the heart a refuge from storms a sweet resting place after labour a consolation in sorrow a pride in success and a joy at all times much has been done to spread the doctrines of sanitary science there is no mystery attached to it Otherwise, we should have had professors teaching it in colleges as we have now, and graduates practicing it amongst the people. It is only of recent years that it has received general recognition, and we owe it, not to the medical faculty, but to a barrister, that it has become embodied in many important acts of Parliament. End of section 26 Read by Astrid Weinmann, London.